The question is, from the outside looking in, what do Christians look like? You ever asked a non-believer that? Or maybe you yourselves, you know, at one point before you accepted Christ, like, what were your thoughts on what Christians were like? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're trying to figure it out too, you know, who these crazy people are. I, uh, I had a couple buddies um, who totally had no interactions with Christians most of their lives, just very, you know, secular um, upbringing. And I asked them once, I was like, hey, you know, what, what do you think a non-Christian is? Like, well, they're very judgmental. They uh, don't care about the environment, and they do these weird things called Bible studies, probably all with their Make America Great Again hats, because they're all right-wing conservatives. And I was like, oh, well, okay, you know. Um, But this is kind of a hard question, because there's a lot of different types of Christians, or at least Christians act different ways, don't they? I mean, you have over here, maybe on the more left side of Christians, you have the more charismatic, and and, and just imagine those conversations in the workplace with a non-Christian and the charismatic person of, you know, they see the non-Christian, how are you doing? I wanted to talk to you. And the non-Christian's like, okay, what what, what are you going to talk about? Well, this morning, while I was praying, I was listening to my, you know, Holy Spirit, come fill the atmosphere song, and uh, your name just came up, and I really thought about it for a couple hours, like 75 times. And I'm like, okay, it's getting creepy. And, and then I was like, okay, I need to talk to them, but I didn't know if it was God's will. So here's what I prayed. It was genius. I prayed, God, if I hit a red light on the way to work, I, that will be you telling me to talk to this person. And sure enough, I hit 12 red lights, so you need to believe in Jesus. You know, they're probably like, okay, that's, you know, another crazy Christian over here. But then you have another type of Christian over here, which is the, you know, maybe the more right-wing conservative Christian. And imagine how that goes with the non-Christian at work of like, hey, you know, I wanted to invite you to a barbecue. I know you're Christian, but I think you'll still, you know, have fine hanging out with all of us. Or, you know, would you be interested in coming? And they're like, well, um, are you going to like play any non-Christian music? Uh, yeah, you know, you know, well, you know what? If it's not Third Day or Chris Tomlin, I don't listen to it because I'm a Christian, right? Or they ask, you know, hey, like, what do you do for fun? And the Christian's like, well, what I do for fun is I just love studying my theology. You ever met somebody like this, right? You're like, hey, what, what do you do when, when, when you're just a day off? Well, I've been studying the relationship between predestination and the hypostatic union and how those go together. And what's your views on all millennialism, right? You know, and that, that Christian that's so hard to relate to anybody that's not in that kind of conservative bubble. Or maybe, maybe in the middle here, if you have the other type of Christian where they've invited their non-Christian out to dinner, and they said yes, and they go out to dinner at this restaurant, and you, know, you wait forever for your food, you're hungry, it finally comes, and you're about to take that bite, and then they're like, hey, let me pray. You ever been here before? And they begin to pray. And then it's like, dear God, I pray for everyone in this room that's not Christian. And they pray so loudly that everybody in the restaurant knows, right? Even the chef in the back is hearing what's going on. And you're just like, oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. And then, you know, you think they're going to end eventually because you know, the aroma of your food is coming up. And uh, it gets to the end of their prayer. And they're like, and in your name we pray. And you're like, yes. And then they say, for the people in Africa, and we pray for the government, we pray for my grandma's sister's dog that has mange, we pray, you know, know, that type of interaction. There's a lot of diversity on how Christians act and what people think they are, and from the outside looking in, depending on who you're around, it's a confusing question. What does a believer look like? And for us today, I mean, does a good Christian look like someone who doesn't mess up? All your kids are following the Lord perfect. There's been no relationship trauma. 
What does it look like? I mean, if God came down to ambassador this morning and looked at us, would he say, yes, these are what believers look like. This is my intention of what it looks like for someone to have impacted me. You see, when we say the word Christian, it means follower of Christ, obviously, but it also means, the idea behind it is that you are a person who has impacted Almighty God. You have been impacted by the most, empower, the most powerful being that's ever existed. The being that said, let there be light, and there was light. The being who can do whatever he wants anytime is all powerful, has not only touched your life, but has come into your life and is making you this new creation. What does that look like? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You see, Jesus has been teaching. We've been going through this series called Kingdom Culture, if you've been with us in the book of Matthew. And Jesus had been going around presenting, hey, the kingdom of God is what? It's at hand. It's here. John the Baptist said it. We saw Jesus get baptized. Almighty God spoke and affirmed, this is my son. This is the one that's bringing the kingdom. And then we see in chapter 4 of Matthew that Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and then he began to preach and choose his disciples. And now we land on chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 5. But Jesus is now going to talk about this is what a person in the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the people who have me as their God and King look like. This is how they act. This is the characteristics of them. And that's what we're going to see this morning. But the funny thing that you need to know is there's all these crowds around Jesus begins to teach this. And all of their thoughts would have been this. If anyone's going to be part of the kingdom of God, it's the Pharisees and it's those godly teachers of the law. That would have been it. They would have thought, if anybody, it's going to be these guys. But yet, Jesus is going to paint for us a very different picture. But he's also going to say this other thing. Talk about this word called blessing. You ever think about that? Like, maybe you're hearing, like, okay, I don't care what a Christian looks like. I'm not interested. But if there actually is this all-powerful being that can do anything at the snap of a finger or one word, don't you care about what? or how you're going to acquire his blessing. Doesn't that matter to you? And when you live your life, do you ever think about that? If, especially if you're a believer in Christ, like you have Almighty God who can say anything at any time and change every aspect of your life. And so that's what Jesus is going to talk about. He's going to say, this is what a Christian looks like, but also this is how God responds in blessing. We're going to see how those two meet. You with me? Okay, so this sermon is very famous. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's called the Beatitudes. We get that. The Beatitudes is a Latin word. It's called the blessedness is kind of the meaning of that word. So if you have your Bible, Matthew 5, we're going to read 1 through 12 right now. Okay, here we go. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when he saw the crowds... He went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
there's one word in there that comes in every single verse, which is what? Blessed. So, I'm very qualified to say this because when I was getting my MDiv in seminary, I had a solid C minus in Greek. So, I was studying the Greek this week. Um, well, I wasn't studying. Okay, I, I, there's a program that you can get online and you can click the Greek word and then it tells you and parses it all out. Okay, so it's not because of my expertise in Greek, but this is what the word blessed means. It's makarios is the original Greek word. And of course, the first meaning is blessed. Okay, makes sense. But the other meaning of the word is happiness. You see, makarios is the same word for happiness as it is for blessed. And so what a lot of people have done is they've read this and say, okay, what Jesus is saying, if you want to live a happy life, here are eight steps to your best you in happiness. But that doesn't quite make sense because Jesus is saying, what is he really saying? Happier are you when you're persecuted. Happier are you when people insult you. But so then on the other side, people come over here and say, okay, no, it's just blessedness, and happiness has nothing to do with it. But that doesn't really make sense, because if God is blessing you as you're mourning and blessing you with the kingdom of God, that brings happiness at times, doesn't it? So I think it's a both and, and I'm hoping we see that as we move forward. But let's look at this first beatitude. We're going to go through all of them this morning. We're not going to camp out on any of them because there's eight, and I don't want you here till three o'clock. So, and I don't want to get fired. So here we go. Verse three, we're going to go look at the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Now the word poor, it's means what it does for us, right? It's someone often associated as a beggar. They can't provide for themselves. Would have, a lot of times back then, the poor were homeless, and they, they would beg on the streets for someone. But is Jesus saying, okay, if you're poor, you're going to go to heaven? No, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You see, again, the Pharisees were the ones that everyone would have thought, hey, if anyone's going to go to the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be those guys. And I think what Jesus is saying by putting this first is saying, hey, it's not those guys. You see, the Pharisees would have been walking around saying, hey, you know what? We've got it figured out. I, I know the verses. I do the, the hand washing and stuff like that. I have the special outfit. Everything about me says that I am a kingdom person of God. Any of you ever met someone like that in today's world? Right? How's, how's your week? Oh, it's just wonderful. You know, I was just donating to charity, helped an old lady across the street, petted a dog, you know. I shared the gospel with 16 people this morning. I was just, I locked myself in my closet and prayed for hours while listening to Chuck Swindoll and watching the Left Behind series. You know, I just do everything Christian right. Ever meet somebody like that? And God's saying, no, 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 it's not the person that thinks they have it all together. It's the person that realizes they don't have it all together. You see, I was blessed. I, I was raised in a Christian home. Both my parents loved Jesus. They weren't perfect in any way, but they loved Jesus. And I had all these older siblings who loved Jesus. And so we were known in our church. And growing up, like, I was a pretty good church kid. I knew all the Bible verses, all the answers in Sunday school. We used to have Bible drills. Do any, any of you remember what those were, where they say, this verse, and you find it real quick. I would find it first every time. Um, I was in Awanas, and I had the like vest and all the outfit, the little neckerchief thing. And, and, and I just felt like when I used to walk in that church, I was like, you know, I got it figured out. They used to sing, you know, our God is able, and I would like raise my hand. You know, I, I was the kid that had it figured out. But it wasn't until middle school. I remember, I remember this night vividly. I was in my room and I was reading the Bible. Because I was a good Christian kid. That's what you did. I was reading the Bible and at God, I felt like he opened my eyes and he said, Abel, you're not okay. Abel, you are broken. 
you are sinful and you need help. And I am that help, Abel. I died on a cross, not for good little kids, but for broken kids who are sinful and need a Savior. And I felt like that was the first time that I truly accepted Christ. And that's how, when I look at this, that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, poor in spirit. It's the person that realizes, I'm not okay. I don't have it together. You know, in order to start with the good news of the gospel, we have to start with the bad. If you read the book of Romans, Paul presents this, uh, this, this progression of an argument which the first three or four chapters, he's saying, look, you are sinful. You're not okay. Something needs to happen, and that something is Jesus. And that's what he's getting at here. The Bible says this, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Do you remember the first time you became a Christian? Do you remember that moment when God showed you your sin? And that moment where it came over you, and you realized, like, wait, I got a problem. I got, I, got, I got to do something. And then the light of Jesus came in, and it was so beautiful and so bright. Because, and what made it so bright is you realized how dark your sin was, and you realized there was hope. You remember that? I think that's what Jesus is teaching here, and that's a reminder for us this morning. Is, hey, maybe you need to pray and say, God, take me back. Because maybe I've forgotten how good you are. And how in need of you are. How my spirit is not okay unless your spirit is inside me. Jesus is saying, blessed is, whole, is those who are poor in spirit and yours is the kingdom of God. That's where becoming a kingdom person starts. It's poor in spirit. Let's look at the next one. It says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, there's a lot of different opinions on this. Some, some commentators say, well, mourn, it's, it's talking about Christians that, that are mourning over sin. It could be, because as a believer in Christ, you know, it comes, that's kind of a progression, realizing I have sin, you're mourning. But then other commentators say, well, maybe he's saying it's Christians who mourn because they're being persecuted. Well, maybe as well. Or maybe it's their mourning because they're, you know, you're not, heaven's over there, but you're still here and you feel like you don't belong. But I'm not sure if it matters what you're mourning over. It's more what he's making a statement is who God is. Look at what he says. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, if you're part of the kingdom of God, no tear goes unchecked. Every day of pain that you experience, God sees it. He knows it. And I don't know if you're here, maybe this week you're like, hey, I, I cried enough. I just, you know, life's hard. Or maybe you've experienced in your life those night after night where the illness doesn't go away and you're crying like, God, like, I just can't take this anymore, right? Or the relationship doesn't get better and day after day it just is so discouraging. Or what happened to you as a kid or the abuse you went through, it just follows you in the grieving and you just feel totally alone. And what Jesus is saying is, look, if you're part of the kingdom of God, I see it all. And there's this promise of comfort Look at what Jesus also tells us later through scriptures. He says, come to me, all who is weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Corinthians says, he is the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Do you know that this morning? I know you might, you might feel like God is nowhere to be found, but if you're a believer in Christ, hear his words to you today. Say, I hear you. I know what you're going through. 
The psalmist says this, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. And then the whole, here's, here's the greatest part. He says, blessed are you who mourn, for you'll be comforted. If you're like, hey, you know what? I'm not experiencing any comfort right now. Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? If it's not in this life, it will be in the next. Revelation 21, this is describing heaven. He says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. If you're a kingdom person, this morning take hope that your mourning is seen and he will comfort you. You ready to move on? You still with me? All right, let's look at the third one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Okay, well, what does meekness mean? Growing up, I used to think, well, meekness is that kind of shy, timid kid that I don't want to be, right? I don't want to show, I thought meekness is kind of like weakness, you know, it rhymes. And so, okay, I don't want to be that. But that's not what the word Jesus is saying. It's more like this. Have you ever seen, well, this happens occasionally at my parents' house. They have two big old golden retrievers, and they're not, they're like big golden retrievers. I'm not a dog guy, but anyway, they're they're these big old dogs. One of them gets, and you'll see them. They fight each other sometimes, but the weirdest things is my, you know, my siblings come over with their their kids, and so my nephews and nieces, these little babies, they're like pulling on the dog's ears or poking. You ever seen kids do this before? You got this big old dog that you know could just chomp one of them, but it's funny, the dog lets him do it. And it's like restraining all this strength. And sometimes you even see the dog like start licking the kids, which really grosses me out. I mean, I've been not being, I, I know some of you are like, no, dogs' mouths are cleaner than humans. Okay, but the same dog just ate its own droppings like three. I don't understand the logic there. Anyway, but you see this, be, this beast, that's what it is, containing itself, Right? And that's kind of what meekness is described in the, Old, in the New Testament. It's this restraint of strength, this control. Look at the definition. It says, meekness is gentleness, enduring all things with an even temper, tender, and free from haughty self-sufficiency, a tender spirit. You see, it's that person that the Holy Spirit's been working in their life. That person that they were poor in spirit. They ex- received Christ. They became part of the kingdom of God. They've experienced comfort in Him. And as He's begun to work, He's begun to change them and make it to where, okay, you know, that person cuts you off on the freeway. Instead of raising fingers and, you know, freaking out, you can respond with grace and control your temper. That person at work or at church or at home, you know, that says the thing that really gets underneath your skin instead of just lashing out, you have this control and you're able to love instead of lash out. That's what meekness is. Being able to be gentle when maybe you don't want to, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe your prayer this morning is, Father, help me be meek. Father, I just feel like I'm lashing out all the time. I'm bringing conflict. I just am not gentle. I'm just rough around the edge. Jesus Bring it to me because I, I want to inherit the earth. What does that mean, inherit the earth? Well, the Bible says that when Jesus comes back one day, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to be with him ruling it. But we're going to be controlled, tamed under his good grace. Let's read on. Blessed are the meek. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you remember when you were a kid and you could hang out with your friends or do an all-nighter and you could literally down like an entire pizza, a liter of Mountain Dew, a bag of Doritos, and, you know, some ice cream afterwards and still feel great? 
You remember that? You know, or maybe you have kids and you've seen, and you're just like, how in the world are you eating that? And then you're happy and you do like a backflip and a cartwheel and run a mile. Like, as a kid, I didn't appreciate that. But see, now that I'm older, if I have like two pieces of pizza, I feel like terrible the rest of the day. You know what I'm talking about? And I've learned as I've got, it kind of happened in college. Like, I think I held out through high school pretty well. I could still eat like garbage. But then in college, I just, it, start, it starts to catch up to you. If you're young, I apologize, but it's something to be excited about. You're not going to eat the same. And well, maybe you can eat the same, but you just don't feel good all the time. But what happens is your appetite starts to change. It's not that that food's still not attractive. I mean, there's appeal to it. I'm not a big Doritos guy, but, you know, there's appeal to it. But your appetite, your appetite starts to change because you start to learn, if I eat that, I'm going to feel this way, and I don't want to feel that. Or if I eat that, I'm eventually going to get sick and probably die. So I don't want to do that. And you see, with God, before we're believers in Christ, all we do is eat sin, right? What's our hunger and thirst for? I want whatever is in front of my eyes that looks good. And we don't have any care or thought to how it affects my life. It just happens because it's what I want. And if it's what I want, it can't be that bad. But when Jesus opens our eyes, it says he's opened the eyes of the blind. What did he do? He said, hey, this is actually killing you. It's called sin. It's deadly. And even though my righteousness doesn't always look that good, I mean, let's be honest, maybe you're better than me, but doing the right thing doesn't always look like the best option, does it? But one of the beauties of Jesus Christ is when he comes in your life is slowly over time, he gives you this hunger and thirst for his way because it's better. And then he says, blessed if you hunger and thirst because you will be filled. You see, what happens is that he changes their heart to say, okay, God, your way's better. And when it comes to happiness, the sin that I think brings me happiness actually doesn't bring me long-term happiness, but your righteousness can bring me more happiness and joy than I've ever felt before. And so I want that. So maybe your prayer this morning with this beatitude is, God, give me that hunger. Father, your, uh, the things of the world look, sometimes look way better than your things. And God, I, I confess that. But Father, give me a new vision for what is good and what is wrong. Give me a new hunger for righteousness. Lord, I want to have faith in that. Let's move on. The merciful. It says this in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We all know what mercy is. The definition of it is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who it is within one's power to punish or harm. And you know, for the most part, I feel like as Christians, we're pretty good at kind of fake being merciful, or the people that are kind of just like the person you met a couple times at church, if they do something wrong, it's, it's a little bit easier to say, hey, I forgive you, and I'm be merciful. But the people that it's hard for is like, that are closest to us. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's so much easier to forgive someone at work or whatever, but when it's your spouse, or your parent, or your best friend, or your girlfriend, or your boyfriend. It's so hard. And I think if you're like me, I'm pretty good at, you know, saying, oh, I forgive you, but then I kind of let them have it after that. My wife and I, we, we do the same thing. So it's not just her, it's not just me, but we'll say like, yeah, I forgive you, and I'm merciful because Jesus has forgiven me, but don't come near me, don't touch me, don't talk to me, don't even breathe around me for like four days. Right? You ever been there with, with someone before? It's like, oh, I forgive you, but you're not really forgiving them. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Be merciful. 
Because I've been merciful to you. And so maybe your prayer this morning is, God, help me to see how you've been merciful to me so that I may be merciful to others. Maybe after this, you've got to go up to someone and say, like, hey, I know I said I forgive you, but I haven't been acting that way. Or, hey, you know what? I want to be more merciful because my expectation is you're a sinner just like I'm a sinner and you're poor in spirit. Like but, but we need to look to Christ. Let's move on. You still with me? Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart. Uh, many of you probably know this if you've been watching the news. There's the coronavirus, specifically in Asia. There's a few people in the United States. Um, but I was reading about it the other day, and I don't know how I came across it, but it was, this, uh, like, it was this website on how physicians should prepare themselves when they're going in and out of quarantine with people with the disease. I know, I don't know how I say it's weird, but anyway, so I was reading this thing, but it was like probably 15 pages of notes on how doctors should prepare to go in to protect themselves and then go out. I mean, it was like, here's this special mask, and if you're a physician, I apologize, I don't know the lingo, but you know, here's a special mask you got to wear, and then these eyeglasses, then this head net, and then you got to wash your hands before, and you put on these special gloves, and then there's all these other things you got to go on, and then if you go in there, there's protocol. If they sneeze, then you got to go get a new set of gloves or a new mask. And then there's all these other things too of like, okay, well, if they, you're for sure they have it, then you got to leave the room after you got to, there's this like secondary quarantine room, you got to clean yourself there, and then you got to go out and pray you didn't get it, you know, or, or whatever it is. There's all this procedure, but why, why are they so intense about it? Because they don't want to be contaminated with the disease. They don't want to be anywhere near, because if they get sick, then it spreads in the other patient, and so they have to be so careful to be pure. But you see, the Bible says, and we forget this all the time, sin is far more deadly than coronavirus. In fact, it's the reason we die in the first place. It's the reason we have diseases. Sin, Jesus says, it will kill you, it's a, but for eternity. But so often we just treat it like it's our best friend. If sin were like coronavirus and we were the doctor, we'd just walk right in our swim trunks, give him a hug and a high five. But yet Jesus is saying, no, 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 those people who know me, they see sin for what it is and they want to be pure. You know, one of the definitions of purity in marriage is that it's you and no one else. And with God, when he calls us, he says, look, I am holy, I am good, and I want you to love me and nothing else. And if there's other, if you're contaminated with this sin, I can't have a relationship with you, and I want to have a relationship with you, but sin is so serious, it's so serious that I came down on earth and I took on a human form, and I was whipped with the cat of nine. Does it rip my flesh off my body? I put a crown of thorns. I was nailed to a cross and mocked, all because I hate sin and love you. And so it doesn't make sense that you've accepted me, you've experienced my goodness and my blessing, and now you still embrace your sin. He calls us to be pure, but if you're here this morning like me, you're like, well, you know, I'm not pure in every way. I don't always have perfect devotion for God. I struggle in different ways. See, the good news is there's hope if you're in Christ. Because what Jesus did on the cross is what? He made it so we have access to him and he has access to us, that he clothes us in his righteousness. He takes the disease away. He washes it away so there has, there's no need for a quarantine anymore. We have access to the kingdom of God. So if you're here and purity is a struggle, well, first remember that you are pure because of Christ. Second, maybe take some steps. 
Maybe confess your sin to a friend. Maybe find accountability. Maybe put up boundaries. Blessed are the pure because they will see God. They will have access to God. Okay, let's go on to the second to last, the peacemaker. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. You see, if you really have experienced Christ and you've experienced your sin but experienced His grace, You've experienced Him comforting you over your morning. You've experienced Him working in your life. Peacemaker comes naturally out. I think out of all of these, as I was studying for this this week, this is the hardest one for me. Because I'm one of those people, yeah, you, maybe you'll identify, I know I'm right if I'm right. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? And, and one guy told me, he said, Abel, you know, before you get married, with your wife, you need to realize, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? <laughs> I didn't understand what he meant, but I understand now. Because so often in marriage, it can be the dumbest thing. You left the milk out, Abel. No, I didn't. You left the milk out. And I will literally fight to the death instead of just grabbing the milk and putting it in the fridge. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? And you see, a peacemaker doesn't do that. When Jesus was on the cross... Who is in the right? When he's sitting there or hanging there, bleeding out, and they're crying out and they're saying, hey, if you're a son of God, bring yourself down. Save yourself. He could have, but he didn't because he wanted to be a peacemaker because that's what God is. And that's, as believers in Christ, what we're called to be. That means that you may have to lay down if you're right sometimes for the sake of bringing peace. And I'm not saying, for those of you who are like, well, does that mean I let myself get abused and taken? No, right? Because that's not loving someone to let yourself get abused. But in those times, like Proverbs says, it's the glory of man to overlook an offense. Sometimes believers, that's what we're called to do. And that's what really speaks to non-Christians is when they're taking advantage or a jerk in some ways, not that every non-Christian is that, but if someone's mistreating us, you can step in and be loving and caring and a peacemaker, and that's how the gospel shines. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's look at the next one, the last one. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Well, how does this work? How are you blessed if you're being persecuted? How, do, how is that actually a good thing? I think of, you remember in the book of Acts, there's this guy named Stephen. He's a good guy following God, trying to serve him, and he goes to his town, and he's preaching the gospel to his friends and his neighbors and his relatives and the, the teachers of the law, and he's proclaiming it, and they get angrier and angrier to the point where they pick up rocks and start chucking it at him. And in that moment when he's cowering down as the rocks are hitting his body, and he knows he's going to die, what a brutal death. What does he do? The Bible says this, Stephen looks up and he says, Father, receive my spirit into your kingdom and do not hold this sin against them. You see, what's the blessing is that even if all of life feels like it's going to hell in a handbasket, even if everything's falling apart, even if everything seems terrible, we have hope that we can look up and say, I am part of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, no matter what, 
You can be blessed because you're part of my kingdom. Maybe for you this morning, it's you got to look up. Things are hard. Things don't look good. No, no, I'm part of the kingdom of God, and that's my hope. Okay, so where do we go with all this this morning? What do Christians look like? How do we do? I mean, how did you do? When, when I looked at this list, I, if it were, a, if it were a, you know, a test, I probably would have failed. How did you do? How are you feeling? It's kind of a downer, isn't it? You're like, well, I didn't get that, that one. Okay, I got that one. The morning part, I'm a pretty good crier. But what, what is Jesus saying? Is Jesus saying this so we can go out and, and, and if these are eight steps to get into the kingdom of heaven, if you follow these eight steps, then you're going to get your golden ticket and you're going to go to heaven and this is how you do it. It's a works-based thing. No. Because you know what? Nobody can do this perfectly. Nobody can. What's Jesus saying? What he's saying is, look, how a Christian looks, this list is to show you this is what happens when I come into your life and change you. This is what happens when I touch a life and make them a new creation. The old is gone, the new is gone. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament. The people of Israel are in the wilderness. They've been wandering around, and God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai. You know the story? And it's this crazy thing because this cloud descends on the mountain, and it's thunder and lightning. The Bible says that the earth was quaking and all of this stuff, and it was so dark because of it. And all of a sudden, God calls Moses onto the mountain. And all the people are terrified, so much so that Moses had to, speaking for God, say, hey, don't touch the mountain, don't even put your toe on it because you're going to die because Almighty God's here. And the Bible says that Moses went up for several days, and on his walk down, this was the crazy part, because he had been in the presence of God, it says his face was radiantly shining, so much so that when people saw him, they couldn't see, so they had to wrap a, he had to wrap a veil around his face just to speak to people. But here's the even weirder part. The Bible says that Moses didn't even know his face was radiating. It's kind of weird. I mean, you imagine walking down a dark cloud on a mountain. If your face is that bright, it would be like a spotlight. Everybody, oh, that's funny. I didn't see. He didn't even know. And you see, why I think that's relevant is if you are experiencing the glory and the presence of Jesus on a daily basis, your life is going to radiate these things. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. He's saying, look, a kingdom person, kingdom by definition is that you serve a king. And if I am king over your life, if I am your first pure love, and you've come to a place where you've been poor in spirit and said, Jesus, I want you and you alone, and daily I'm going to look to you, then this stuff just comes out over time. Philippians tells us that he will complete the work that he started in you. One of the promises that Jesus makes is not just you're going to go to heaven, but he says, I'm going to come inside you and I'm going to change you. I'm going to make you beautiful. I'm going to make you meek. I'm going to make you a peacemaker. I'm going to make you merciful because you're going to experience it so much from me that it's just going to come out. The application this morning is, are you looking in the face of Jesus? Because that's what a kingdom person is. It's not a flashy, I'm doing this. It's not a, I'm going to pray for hours in the restaurant as the food's getting cold. It's the person like, you know what, I am enamored with Christ, and that's changing everything. That's what radiates to non-Christians. A couple applications as we close. If you've read any of these and you're convicted like I've been, that's okay. Take some steps. 
If there are areas where you're like, okay, you know what? I, I need to work on being meek. I need to work at hunger and thirst after righteousness. Take this as saying, God, thank you for this reminder. Help me to act and live this out. Maybe you need to get accountability. Maybe you need counseling. Maybe you need to dive back into Scripture. Take steps. Second is this. Is are you living your life for momentary happiness in the things around you, or are you living to have the blessing of God? Because there's nothing better than that. You have Almighty God who wants to bless you. Are you living for that? And lastly, are you drawing near to Jesus so that He can change you?